This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. Welcome back, guys, and um, we're here with a very special person. Um, she's a senior design lecturer at um, QUT uh, within the interior design discipline. She's been working with teachers since 2010, so that's quite a long time, and her actual research and um, PhD, if, I, if that's right, um, has been a, about understanding and defining the design process and embedding the design thinking um, process and the model within learning environments. And um, in other words, basically human-centered design aligning with 21st century learning skills. So um, let's make Natalie Wright welcome. Thank you so much for coming on coming on board with us. Thanks, Rishan. Um, do you mind giving us a quick background on yourself and explaining your um, expertise? Sure. So I practice as a commercial interior designer for 18 years um, in Brisbane. I also worked in Japan and London. And... Uh, I had been teaching um, as I, you know, while I was doing that that role, and uh, ultimately um, then came into teaching about ten years ago um, to QT, and obviously had to do a PhD, um, and at the time didn't really know what I was going to do it about, but yeah. um, I. Um, I ended up organising an exhibition to regional Queensland, um, touring professional design, um, award-winning design work, and um, thought to engage people um, about the value of design because really in Australia the value of design doesn't shine through. People are not really that cognizant about how important design is and I really wanted to showcase that. So I organised a workshop program in the schools where we toured the exhibition Mm -hmm. and um, basically introducing kids to the different disciplines of design. Some of um, the kids in regional regional and rural Queensland have never really experienced design or met designers, so Mm -hmm. we toured designers up to those regions. And um, they got to do um, various projects over three days in the different disciplines and... um, since then, I it has really fired my passion in education, mm-hmm. design education. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've been working with teachers, both in the capacity of professional development, um, yeah, thinking about design-based learning. Yep. So learning uh, design as a framework for learning and developing 21st century skills and also with students at schools, so mainly secondary students. Yep. Um, in various programs where the kids are looking at how to design a brief for a new project at their school or they're um, <coughs> looking at various projects within um, outside and inside their curriculum. Yeah. Um, but most of my work has been sort of community engagement and informal learning programs, which I think are really, really important for um, the 21st century. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And... Um, we had Andrew Scott on this show, I think, uh, for our first episode, and um, I, I understand that you've been working with Andrew quite closely in helping design teachers 
around around Queensland, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think earlier this year you guys had a lot of success doing that. Was, was that right? Yeah, we organised a um, design teacher studio um, two day workshop. Yeah. Um, with about forty teachers from um, various subject areas. Um, and obviously the, the new syllabus, which obviously is connected to the technology's curriculum, mm-hmm. um, is offering some challenges, I guess, for teachers because a lot of design teachers who have traditionally taught design or graphics or home ec are not trained as designers. So inherently, possibly, that design process is not something mm. they're aware of or they're, they feel comfortable in embedding into their curriculum. And so we, I guess, tried to introduce them to what we do at, at uni, mm-hmm. um, what student their students will be doing at uni so that they can kind of work towards that. Yep. But also we tried to go through a number of exercises that got them thinking about how they might approach curriculum from that perspective. Um, and also just showing them what some of the um, projects students get to do in first year when they come to QUT in the various, I think we've got six disciplines yep. of design. So um, fabulous day, couple of days. Yep. We met so many amazing teachers. I mean, a lot of teachers are doing fabulous work out there. Yep. And it's not really, you know, it's not really publicised or shared. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the thinking behind this program was to, I guess, get teachers together, start a conversation, um, try and get them to share a lot more of what they're doing in their own classrooms to yep. benefit other teachers around Queensland. That's great. And uh, I think I really admire the fact that um, universities are now reaching out to secondary schools because that then allows our teachers to have a, our students, sorry, to have a much more holistic process. They don't, there's no disconnection between going from, you know, school to university. They're actually building on their skills rather than have a, have a um, you know, disjointed process. So that, that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, and now, I think a lot of, um, you know, design is becoming more inherent in business um, definitely. more recently. Yeah. And when I started doing my research, I realised that we can't just prepare business people to utilise design process in their business. They've got to start young. So they've got to have that inherently in their thinking to allow them to, you know, start a business when they're older or become a designer or become an engineer or become a scientist. Those skills are so important for any any profession that you choose to engage in in future life. So, you know, let's not start once they get into business. Mm-hmm. You're too old, you're too set in your ways. We've got to start in primary school. Yeah, that's. I'm so happy that you said that because um, I've got this smile on my face right now because, simply because this is something I discussed with my student following recently and I actually posted a video about this to them where um, it, it was triggered because one of my students asked me what they could do if architecture or whatever the design discipline that they're doing it's not for them and then the video is focused on actually understanding that this is a thinking process that they can extract and put into everything else and when we go to schools and talk to students or teachers something that we tell them is how the biggest brands in the world the fortune 500 companies 
actually have design thinking process embedded into almost every facet of what they do. Sometimes it's admin, HR, or sales, or product development, whatever, and it's becoming more and more a thing. And I've actually learned that um, companies like Amazon, Apple, uh, Google, they actually hire architectural graduates straight out of uni for their business development design or business or service design not for their spatial design because it's that they, they recognize exactly what you're saying. So that's yeah. that's brilliant. <laughs> and I think one of the things that people don't realize is we can teach people design process, not mm-hmm. a problem. But if they don't have the mindset to actually do that process, yeah. it will never be done properly. Yeah. So that mindset can't be developed overnight. And certainly we get a lot of design students coming to uni where they think, oh, I've watched a TV show on the block and they can do it overnight and, you know, start as a policeman and then become a designer overnight, which is completely false. (laughs) Um, But a lot of of that um, learning is mindset. It's a completely different way of thinking. It's taking risks. It's being creative and... The current education system knocks that out of you very young. So I am of the belief that we need to start young and we need to keep that that risk-taking and that creativity happening right through to when you become a CEO. And obviously, you you know, you take less risk in that situation, but you are aware Mm. that you're not going to be successful if you keep doing the same thing that you've always done. Definitely couldn't agree with you. So that more. iteration is so important and that's the yeah. mindset that you have to have going yeah. forward. Let's, um, let's talk about the design thinking model, right? Um, can you define what, in your point of view and based on your research, what is design thinking? Um, at risk of repeating myself, I no, guess, that's right. <laughs> um, my, my thoughts are that it is... Um, it is process, skill and mindset together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we can sort of use a process that, you know, IDEOs used or um, different people have different processes. Ultimately, they're similar. Mm -hmm. But um, if you don't have the mindset, for example, for um, experimentation, Mm -hmm. for collaboration, for... uh, um, empathy mm-hmm. or, or thinking about what what the person, the people, you know, what the stakeholders need. Those are the three values of design thinking, is that uh, right? Yes, and there's another one which is um, the, the metacognitive mindset. So mm-hmm. being able to then, if you learnt the process, being able to think of and reflect on what I did and what I learned from that process that I can then apply in another situation. Yeah. So those are the four that I really think are important. Yeah. Um, and without those mindsets, you can do some brainstorming, you can do some, you know, drawing, you can do some prototyping, but if you don't have the mindsets, those four mindsets, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen, it's not going to be successful. Yeah. So, for example, collaboration. Yeah. Hugely important. You don't learn how to design something for someone if you don't collaborate with anyone. Yeah. Design is not done in a bubble. 
So definitely, that is you know one mindset for as an example yep. that you need yep. to do that. So there's various skills as students we can teach mm-hmm. um, that we can develop ourselves. So getting better at making, getting better at brainstorming, mm-hmm. you know, pushing yourself to iterate more. All of those sort of skills you can develop. Mm-hmm. But the minds, if you don't have those mindsets, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to be successful. Yeah. So in my mind, it's holistic. It's a holistic model. Definitely. And a lot of people in business just see the process and try to apply a process that is very linear, that they're used, they feel is safe. Yeah. And obviously, they don't have that experimental mindset. Definitely. I think um, it's that word safe comes about when they think it's a, it's a tried and tested method, mm-hmm. whereas the design thinking process and that mindset, it kind of forces you to do things that hasn't been done before or explore areas that haven't been explored before. So exactly. there is that you know, um, level of people get scared by that because yeah. it's, it's the unknown. But um, I think I definitely agree with you on that. So um, we, we, when, whenever some people hear design thinking, the buzzwords human-centered design comes into play. Um, can you give us your point of view on that, human-centered sure. design? Um, so obviously there are different models of design. Um, some of those are rolled out in school. So engineering design is an example. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of project-based learning that, you know, people are aware of. Mm -hmm. However, within engineering design, you can design a bridge, um, but you might not necessarily think about who's going to use that bridge. What's the experience of walking across that bridge or what's the experience of driving across that bridge? Mm. If that um, dimension is included in the design process, so you actually go and ask some people, okay, what what would you love to this bridge to be? So do your research. Yeah, so go and actually, you know, engage with the community that you're designing for and ultimately include them in the design process. A, people are going to really embrace that design and be proud of it and and feel an ownership over it. Yeah. But also... um, People love design. You know, we're all designers, really. And so we should be engaging our community in in designing what we have to look at every day and use every day. Yeah. That would make a better world. Definitely. I think taking that example, most um, practitioners would dive into that as a problem. They'll they'll look at the, you know, what's the general traffic that's going to go through, what's... Uh, per per week or per hour or whatever the frequency and then understand the load capacity and then build the structure around it but then the experience of the user that gets lost um, definitely agree and I think it then connects on to that collaborative side of things where if an engineer's mindset is that and they can't force themselves out of it maybe involve an architect into it uh, Mm. the the spatial designer or an interior designer where um, it's still combining those different skills and different mindsets and trying to make in a better world, basically. Absolutely. So that's brilliant. I think having, having those different perspectives is really important to move ourselves forward. If we yep. just stay in our own discipline and we keep building buildings and we keep building bridges, 
so what? Yep. <laughs> it's not going to change. We're yep. going to have the same sort of, you know, we might have a different structure or yep. whatever, yep. but do we actually need a bridge? Yeah. Yeah. Let's think about other options. Yeah. Now, actually, bring, taking that into, let's say, for example, products that we know, brands that we know, the biggest Fortune 500 companies, they evolve exactly using that process. Um, if you take Apple into um, consideration or Google, their products weren't the same you know, five years ago. It's at a completely different level, and we, we're almost addicted to it, and they design that addiction into our pro um, products. Do you think that has something to do with the design thinking process as well? Absolutely. Yeah. They do their research. Yeah. <laughs> they know what we want. Yeah, exactly. And they know what we can understand and what's intuitive. And, yeah. of course, that's going to make them big bucks. Exactly. They Sometimes just you can question yeah. whether that's right or wrong. <laughs> However... It's better to be designing a phone that we can, that an old person can use without instructions. Yeah. Than designing these products that will just go into landfill when someone realises this is too hard to use. Yeah. So I think you know, obviously, design is a huge um, part of part of understanding how people use things, how they connect to things. You know, the whole emotive side as well. Um, we love our gadgets mm -hmm. and if design is included in your that human-centered you know research is included in the design of those gadgets we're going to love them more and we'll get more addicted yeah but they are helping us so they are. yeah yeah but I guess you know you could question motives I guess but that's also true I think when it, when there's a commercial side involved then it those morality lines kind of get blurred sometimes with some people. Yeah. Um, recently, I learned that there was there's a new design, um, what do you call it? a job at Facebook called behavioral design and behavioral en uh, engineering. Yeah. And their sole purpose is to understand how we interact with the app and how we interact with Facebook and keep us addicted, get us the same dopamine hit every time a notification happens. Um, so that we constantly have to keep checking our phone. And I just found that so interesting because Absolutely. they're coming from that point of view of designing the biochemistry in our body to align with their product because they're in a weird way almost empathizing with how we use it and what we need and yes. trying to understand that. So it, it's incredible. It's creating more jobs and disciplines that weren't there five Absolutely. years ago. Yeah, yeah. and really... Um, Making hybrid jobs. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so bringing it back to um, Australia and the, and the education system, how does this relate to teachers, do you think, especially design teachers or future design teachers? Sure. So um, my re research is all about design for lifelong learning. So my point of view is that everyone needs to be exposed to design at some point in their life and they... And even not being exposed to it, really embrace the process of design to improve their lives, whether it be their social lives, their working lives, um, their their lives within a community. Mm -hmm. Design has a huge part to play in all of that. So um, I guess holistically, I think everyone needs to learn design. Yeah. But when it comes to teachers, teachers are the future. Teachers are... I keep saying that. <laughs> yes. And 
Teachers are the people that will um, allow students, our future generations, to actually be resilient, to be um, able to adapt to the, the, you know, very quickly changing um, times, uh, technologies and um, climate change and all the things we're really struggling Mm. with at the moment. To, do, to be able to cope with that, they need the skills to be adaptive mm-hmm. and, in my mind, design allows them that, that approach. Yeah. It allows them an approach that they're comfortable with to um, feel that they can um, cope with challenges. So it's really important that we skill up teachers yeah. in, in the design process. Yeah. And that's not just design teachers, that's every single teacher. Mm -hmm. That's your science teachers, your maths teachers. There is such a benefit from those teachers understanding um, the different ways uh, students think and the the different ways that students learn. So as we've got all this technology in, in our reach, you know, straight away, and so kids no longer can sit in the classroom and be told what to know. Yeah. They've got it right in front of them. So to engage them in learning for lifelong learning, we need to um, give them the tools to allow them to take learning in their own direction. And as things change over the years and they have to change careers and um, adapt to robots and yeah. everything that they will need to adapt to, they will have a process there that they can call on to make them more resilient. And the mindset. And the mindsets. Yeah. Be experimental, yeah. be reflective, be, you know, um, collaborative. You know, that's that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. So ultimately teachers are the most important I think, yeah, and we really need to upskill teachers in the design process. Um, obviously, for the new syllabus in Queensland, that's you know the short-term goal is we need to get um, teachers exposed to the design process and yeah. being able to um, you know roll that out within the syllabus. But ultimately, I think it's really important that. Um, particularly um, in a school environment, because it's based on that industrialised model, teachers work in silos. Yeah. They're not actually gaining the benefit of the experience of all these other teachers that have different perspectives and different, um, you know, ways of engaging students. So what better than to bring them into the same room and start talking about this stuff and, yeah. and sharing knowledge and you know, sharing ways that you can engage students in a more, um, you know, a much more fun and, and um, progressive way. Yeah. Um, so, yes, number one, teachers teachers need that upskilling. But yeah. secondly, from primary school, we need to start embedding design in this curriculum. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some curriculums that don't, are not, um, as predisposed to using that type of thinking. Mm-hmm. However, why don't we combine disciplines? You know, you can do learn so much from a project that involves history and science together. Yeah. 
get those teachers working together. Yeah. Get the kids working on a project, which is so much more interesting than doing an exam. Yeah, and more practical. And more practical. Yeah. And they'll retain that knowledge much better than doing an exam. After that, you just forget all the all the stuff you've learned anyway because yeah. it's so stressful. Yeah. So, yes, I think te- training teachers to think mm-hmm. like that, to be a little bit risky in their classroom, to... Yeah try new things, to be creative, to be iterative, to be reflective about what worked, what didn't work, and then, you know, make, make it better as they go along in their careers. Because they literally are the people moulding our future generation. Absolutely. So it's um, Absolutely. what they're teaching in the classrooms now is going to have a huge impact in 10 years' time or 15, 20 years' time sometimes, but it's the same mindset that gets instilled. And um, I think I was lucky enough to have a really passionate... Um, back then graphics teacher. Oh, was who, the same? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of his influence is still in me and, and the fact that his teaching methods were a little bit more um, forward-thinking and ahead of the time. Yes. I was just lucky enough to be exposed to that. But, um, but yeah, something else I um, realized was when we run design thinking masterclasses with, our, with students, so uh, we've gone as low as year rates in nines and tens, um, haven't gone into primary schools yet, but in the four hours or six hours that we do a project-based thing that they find a problem and identify something and come up with their own little idea in their own little groups, they are way more engaged and have fun doing it. And uh, most of the time, they're the ones asking questions and keeping each other on track. And if someone's slacking off, they're the ones selling off each other. It's, it's brilliant. They work hard. They do they because do. they care. And yeah. it's that ownership that you mentioned before. So That's right. And I've done a workshop before where I've actually had students and teachers in the same room doing the same project. That would be interesting. Amazing. Because the students, I had, didn't even brief the students on what design was. Mm-hmm. I had previously briefed the teachers got them in the same room doing the same project and it was about how can we make this this curriculum better yeah so that it was actually doing two purposes it was um obviously gaining some insight from the students as to what they wanted in their curriculum but secondly it was showing the teachers you know what these kids just do it yeah it's so easy they don't need to do anything yeah like they can be given a project and they're off and running. Yeah. So um, that was really powerful. Yeah. And I think there needs to be more of that where the teachers and the students are learning together. Yeah. Yeah. That is just so so much more powerful. Yeah. So when I'm at uni, obviously I have a job to do in preparing my students to mm-hmm. get a job in a particular field, which is slightly different to a teacher's role. Yeah. Which I think is more about. You establishing know, their encouraging mindset. Encouraging those mindsets, exactly. Yeah. Um, I try to, I really try to, I guess, uh, break down those traditional teacher-student relationship and it's more about not a friendship but... A mentorship? A, a mentorship, yeah. 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 And I think the results that you can gain from that type of relationship where you actually are asking the student, well, how, you know, how do you learn and what's what's going to work with you, for yeah. you? Yeah. And you understand their learning as opposed to just delivering a curriculum. Yeah. Is so different. 
Yeah. Something that um, I recently spoke, <clears throat> spoke about in the conference was um, design thinking for teachers actually applies in two stages. This is, this is simply the way I've seen it um, and based on my own teaching experience at, at QUT. Um, the first stage is design thinking as a skill set and a mindset that we need to deliver into the student's mind so they understand it. Yeah. But the second stage is, I think, where the biggest difference gets made and a lot of teachers overlook it. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the second stage, I feel like, is design thinking from the teacher's point of view, but the end client or the end user is the actual student. Yes. So you're empathizing yourself as a teacher with the student. Yes on an individual level, yeah. so not just saying this is what we have to teach, it's more understanding that the each individual student is different and they're going to learn differently and they're going to think about things in a different way and absorb knowledge in a different way. Absolutely. So that actually, I, I feel like I, um, I see that methodology being practiced some with some teachers and some, by accident sometimes, yeah. some more consciously. But I feel like when I do that in first year or last year at the tertiary level, students, one, feel more comfortable mm -hmm. and they feel more engaged with it because there's no added pressure from this guy or girl that's just telling you what to do. Yeah. Um, they, they want to then push their own little boundaries at, at their own comfort level. Yes. Um, one of the things that I started to, that put me onto that mindset and to identify was because that... If a student is having, you know, home problems or he can't, he's trying to find a place to live and, you know, a job so he can eat, he's not going to think about getting a distinction. He just wants to come to class, get it done and just pass almost, even though he or she may have the capability of, you know, getting those A's and getting those high distinctions, but not just at that time. So yeah. as a teacher, I think it's important to recognize that as a design thinking process and then being able to help them come out of that as a mentor absolutely and then push them just that little bit more for the five ten percent more outside of outside of what they think is comfortable yeah so uh, what are your thoughts on that yeah i totally agree um also i think uh that there's too much emphasis on grades yeah um there's too much emphasis on testing kids get really stressed yeah I know my students get very stressed about grades and yeah. it's like, guys, grades are not everything. No one's going to look at your grade point average yep. when they hire you. Yep. They will see in an interview that you have soft skills, you can collaborate, you can talk to people, you can um, have a conversation, you can, uh, you, have, you can discuss things, you know, you in a way. You can collaborate. Exactly. <laughs> And that you actually show on your resume that you don't just go to uni to get grades. You've, you know, been in the student clubs or you've, you know... Travelled. Travelled. Um, all of that is so much more important in yeah. my mind. Yeah. Because there are some kids that won't get good grades. Yeah. But they can be equally as successful. Definitely. Um, and that's why I, my, a lot of my research is around informal learning because mm -hmm. I think that is just as important as formal learning. Can you um, define what informal learning and formal learning are? Sure. So um, informal learning is, I guess, 
to put it simply, is learning that happens outside the formal curriculum. So you're not mm-hmm. getting graded on it. Yep. Potentially it can happen at school, but it's not something that you are assessed mm-hmm. on. So um, a lot of kids these days with technology, you know, they have that stuff at home and they they learn themselves. Yep. They go off and, and find out things, you know, that they're interested in. Yeah. So if formal learning, you know, you ma- obviously we ne- all need to do maths, writing and arithmetic, uh, maths, reading and writing, mm-hmm. um, but they're to support the passions of that individual. Yeah. And everyone is different. So, you, you know, typically the education system is designed to one fits all and it doesn't. So um, if we can, I guess, encourage kids within the formal curriculum to go out and experiment and discover themselves and really develop those lifelong learning skills that will help them for the rest of their life. Yeah. Rather than thinking, I've just got to go to uni and I've just got to get all sevens and then I can become a lawyer and I never have to learn again. (laughs) Um, They can develop uh, not only, you know, a career but also potentially social activities, potentially a social network. Yeah. they can be more involved in their community. They can work with older people. They can work with younger people. They can help their community. Yeah. Uh, and some of that learning is so much more important than getting a seven. I wish someone told me that when I was going through uni. <laughs> yeah. I was in the same mindset of chasing that first class honours and um, I lost track of getting that balanced um, yeah. experience. Uh, other the than same. Yeah. But yeah. I, I obviously I'm a bit older than you, but um, at that point in time, school was everything. I had to do well. Yeah. You know, my parents expected it. I had to get a job. Yeah. You know, I had to follow the track. Exactly. exactly. And I haven't followed the track because now I'm in education. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a second career, and I'm probably one of the only ones that is on my second career. Yeah. A lot of people are on their tenth. That's the thing, and and um, comparing to, I think it, it's the '90s, the average number of careers in a person's life used to be somewhere around the two to four career changes mark. Yes. Um, I read this article recently that said that within the millennial um, generation and and um, the 21st century, it's now up up to the point of like 15 to 18 career changes. Yes. And um, like I've only. If you take my education out of it, given my five years in the career, it's I've had five. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah, five. So but look where your education started in design. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's it's something that um, helps us to identify those um, problems ourselves and and understand that creative problem solving and design thinking anything allows you to go down whatever the path that you want to go down. Absolutely. You mentioned before that um, it's not just for design teachers and um, design disciplines. I found it interesting working with a couple of um, really forward-thinking schools that 
started to bring in and involve other faculties within their design thinking masterclasses and getting them to train. And um, it was really interesting to see the faces of the other teachers that were sitting there, especially at the start of the day. These were English teachers. These were um, PE teachers. They're sitting there going, I'm about to waste the whole day because this has nothing to do with me. Yeah. But by the end of the day, they actually understand how that could be done and what kind of difference it, it can make in English or in PE, Absolutely. just in terms of little everyday tasks. Let's say, let's say Queensland or in Australian curriculum, we have to deliver the curriculum, right? So they, they almost have no choice. So if that's the case, then how can I design thinking, think this process into an assignment, a more creative way? Allow yes. the student to find their own problems rather than saying, go and write this 500-word essay on this topic because I think it's good. Correct. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really interesting to see that mindset shift. And, yes. um, and more, there's pockets of schools that are starting to do that, which is, which is a very healthy sign, I, I believe. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that, that traditional mindset is developed because when they train as teachers, they're That's not exposed they're to it. Yeah. So they're exposed to what we've always done. They are exposed to what happened when they were at school. Yeah. And therefore, we just perpetuate the same model right throughout. And, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of that either because yeah. we all look at what how we learned. Yeah. That's it's human reflection, nature. Yeah. you know, to think about well, what worked in my education and then try to replicate that. But yeah. Things are changing so quickly. We can't just stand still. Yeah. So in my mind, we actually need to start training teachers back in their pre-service teacher years mm -hmm. with design thinking mindsets mm -hmm. to allow them to, as, as well as anyone else in a career path, to adapt to different ways of teaching because they're going to have different students. They're going to be moving exactly. through the changes that everyone's moving through. Yeah. So um, it's a shame that the typical training of teachers hasn't moved beyond that industrialised model yeah. that we, we all know so well. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to see you know, design um, being much more integrated into that pre-service teacher training as well. Yeah. Something um, that I've been, again, telling the teachers that work with us, it's not just, I feel like Australia is a little bit behind when it comes to this because there are other parts of the world like Finland and Luxembourg uh, where they're leaders in education. Yes. And um, they're leaders simply because they've shifted that old mind, mindset and recently I've um, learned that... disrupting the model. Exactly right. And t becoming a teacher is actually one of the highest... Um, privileges and like a, um, a prestige in their society it's not a fallback profession which I hate that Australia almost teaches it sometimes like that um, and they actually scrapped quote-unquote subjects and they don't have that anymore so kids come to school and they just learn they don't have yeah. oh I have my first period second period third period when we actually say that to teachers here they can't even imagine what that would look like yeah and what would what would students do but their students are way more engaged and happy and learning 21st century learning skills and things that are actually going to be relevant for them to have a more um 
fulfilling fulfilling life yeah and yeah it's so I feel like Australia are taking small steps towards it but um, I feel like it's headed in the right direction yeah a little bit behind of time though <laughs> I think so and I mean one of the things that we need to address is at a principal level or at a you know um, at that sort of level of education is let's think about how we can disrupt that model. Yeah. Does the timetable need to happen the same way it's happened for 100 years? Do we need to have bells? Do we need to have uniforms? Yeah. Do we need to have subjects? Those are all the questions that you inherently ask mm -hmm. when you go through a design thinking process. Exactly. So we need to get leaders, school leaders, um, educational leaders, mm -hmm. At that level, so like we do with CEOs in businesses, on board. Hopefully government support as well. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that is fundamental to, to supporting teachers to embrace some of these principles. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm just a bit mindful of our time um, because I'm, I'm aware teachers are very busy, so I want to keep this, um, you know, uh, end, end, end off today allowing teachers to find a place as a first stepping stone towards understanding the design thinking model. Now, um, I actually read um, Change by Design um, by Tim Brown Yeah. Yeah. Um, to un help me understand it first off. Um, that obviously has a commercial point of view to it as well. Do you have any other places where teachers could, if they have no understanding of um, what the design thinking model is and would like to learn more, where yes. they could start? The best book that I've found so far and the best stuff coming out at the moment in, in regards to design thinking in education is a book called Design Thinking in Education. Perfect. Oh, sorry, no, design, Taking Design Thinking to Schools. Yeah. And that's by um, an academic in, at Stanford Uni. Yeah. Um, but it's a collection of, of edited chapters that explore, and obviously in America only, mm -hmm. um, but exploring the different ways that design thinking can have an impact in schools. So there is a, a section about leadership, there's a section about, you know, developing a culture of practice around this and how do we do that, what, what does that look like? Yeah. And then there's um, different case studies about, you know, how design thinking has impacted different schools in different ways. So yeah. that is my go-to. Um, That's brilliant. It's a complete game changer. Yeah. I would totally read that this Christmas. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, there also is some literature coming out of uh, Singapore. Mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah, Singapore. A um, little bit more academic, mm -hmm. but it seems that Singapore obviously is the leading mm -hmm. school um, education provider in the world mm -hmm. um, at the moment. They, uh, there's some academics looking at design thinking, in, that's what the book's called, Design Thinking in Education. Design Thinking in Education. Yeah, a yeah. little bit more academic, however, it does uh, give you a really good background about what design thinking is in education and how it can impact on 21st century skills. Yeah, perfect. I think the readers would definitely gain a lot of insight from that and I think I feel like I need to read it as well, so we'll definitely check that out. Um, Natalie, I just want to thank you so much and I think our listeners gained a lot from um, your research and your own mindsets and your learning and experience. So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. And um, it's really nice to just have a chat about this because 
I like to find people equally as passionate. Oh, definitely. I've loved having a conversation with you today. No, my pleasure. Thank you.